Again, I want to thank you all for your love of our Lord, our Eucharistic Lord, Our Lady, the Church, uh, and your brothers and sisters. Uh, We are chosen as God's children, and that's what we are. And later we will know as we are known. That's unfolding over time, but uh, we have to rejoice that We've been chosen to be God's children. And so, you know, children love uh, their parents. We're taught to honor our father and mother. And we have the best father in heaven. And the great mother of God, Mary, given to us. I started off with those prayers for the Holy Father's intentions. Uh, The Holy Father needs prayer. He's carrying the weight of the cosmos. Um, but the teaching on indulgences is something that many people lose sight of, and I want to address that because it's very important. Uh, You can possibly gain a plenary indulgence every day and give it to Mary to be applied. I just give it to her to be applied as she desires. She She knows who needs it. Early on, I used to name the names and go through a whole list, and who knows, maybe those people were already in heaven as saints. You know, I just give it to Mary. That's part of my consecration to Mary anyway. According to St. Louis Marie de Montfort, she has right to dispose of everything as she sees fit. But there's five conditions for a plenary indulgence. First, there's the indulgence to act. Okay? And the sacred penitentiary in Rome declares what's an indulgence act. But there's four acts that can gain plenary indulgences every day. One is praying a rosary in the church. Or if you can't get to the church, you're sick, then you pray at home with the intention to be at church. But praying five decades of the rosary in church. We did that this morning. Or the way of the cross. The way of the cross. That's an indulgence to act. And really draws you deeply into the passion of Christ, which is the path of our, you know, union with Christ and union with the Father and the reception of the Holy Spirit. Uh, third indulgence to act is a holy half hour. Okay, that's what the minimum is. But, you know, we call it a holy hour. Hopefully it's an hour. But a half hour is required. Okay? And many of you do that every day. Or fourth, a half hour of spiritual meditation or spiritual reading. So there's the indulgence to act for a plenary indulgence. And then there's other times where certain things will be granted in special years um, for an indulgence to act visiting certain places on pilgrimage uh, or in the year of mercy, uh, certain things that we do. But those ordinarily, those four things, any one of them is the indulgence act. So then what else is required? Receiving communion that day. Many of you are daily communicants. So, you're, you know, you're already doing your ro- praying the rosary in church or you're doing a holy hour. You're receiving Holy Communion. 
I mean, so already, there you go. I'm, and, and so then what you need to do is go to confession eight days before or eight days after is the way it used to be. But Cardinal Burke, when he became the head of the Roman Rota, expanded it to 20 days before or 20 days after. So that basically means if you go to confession once a month, you're covered. I, I go still by, I don't know, maybe it's the lawyer in me. I still go by the eight days before, eight days after. Because basically, if you go to confession once every two weeks, that covers it. If you do the math, eight days before, eight days after. And I want to go to confession by every two weeks anyway. So, you know, and I'm going to confession not to just to, uh, not just like, uh, uh, just for the sole reason to gain indulgences. It's, I, I hear Jesus speaking to me, and I, I also receive grace that's going to allow me to overcome temptation, and I sin every single day. Um, John Paul II used to go to confession every day. John Harden used to go to confession before every Mass he'd celebrate once a day. Um, and they're certainly, they certainly were not sinning more than I do. But we don't want to make up sins and become scrupulous. It's just, you know, once every two weeks is a good practice. Uh, so that would cover it. You got the indulgence to act, the receiving of communion, confession, and then prayers for the Holy Father's intentions. And our Father, hail Mary, and a glory be for the Holy Father's intentions. And then the fifth condition is to be free from attachment to sin. Now, whether any of us is free from attachment to sin, only God knows. You do your best. I mean, really do your best. When I say do your best, you know, like when my mother would say behave, I knew what my mother meant. Okay, I didn't say please explain what behave means to me, Mom. Um, I knew what she meant. Do your best. You know what that means. I mean, that, that's the spiritual life anyway. The, the, the great spiritual master in, at the Angelicum when I went there, the head of the department, said the whole spiritual life comes down to do your best and have God do the rest. Sounds easy, but that's it. But that's hard for us because we figure if we do our best, you know, the truth is there's, then there's not much room for God to do the rest. But then if we act like just God's supposed to do it all, where's our part? So do your best, have God do the rest. Let go and let God, all that kind of wisdom, you know, one day at a time. One step at a time, one moment at a time. But, you know, attachment, it, it, you would know if you were attached to sin, like you're just saying, that's just the way I am. I gossip, and that's just the way I am. You know, I just need to vent, and I need to get it out, and I'm not changing. Well, gossip destroys communities. Pope Francis has been talking about that. He says it's like a terrorist act. If you want to destroy a community, just throw gossip right in the middle of it. It's a bomb. A lot of people say, I need to vent. No, you don't need to vent that way. I'm a priest. I hear, I've heard, well, almost everything in the confessional. I thought I heard everything. And then, you know, then you hear something and you're like, wow. Um, everything a human person can do comes to you. But, you know, I don't need to go vent. I can't share it with anybody. It ends with me. Actually, so many things. I try to end it with me. It stops here. But I give it to the Eucharistic Lord. When I come out of the confessional, I say, Lord, if anything's attached itself to me that's not of you, sever it, with the sever it with the sword of the Holy Spirit and fill me with your light, your joy, your peace. That's how I live. And then I just walk on. 
I ask the Lord to sever it with his Holy Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, and fill me with his light, his joy, his peace. Because no human being can carry that stuff. But, I, you know, I just go forward and forget it and move on. And that's what we all need to do. So many of you have that chance to receive an indulgence every day, but, you know, we need, we need to do this. I mean, that's part of this whole cosmic battle that's going on right now, and that's a soul, you know, and we want to uh, relate to souls the way that, you know, we would want other people to relate to us. I'm trying to find my special reading, and it's not appearing, but I did want to give you some quotes on adoration. St. John Bosco. Trust all things to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and to Mary, help of Christians, and you will see what miracles are. You know, St. John Bosco's favorite title of Mary was Mary, help of Christians. If you see the one vision of the ship going through the the sea that's being, they're shooting at it with cannons. They're shooting like uh, false literature, false teaching at the church. And there's three popes in the front of the, the, the ship. One falls, but then another steps forward and there's another behind him. But they come between two pillars and anchor themselves to a safe harbor. On one pillar is the Eucharist. The other pillar is Our Lady, Help of Christians. And that is our safe harbor. As a matter of fact, Pope John Paul II, before he went home, what did he give us? About two and a half to three years before he died, he gave us the year of the rosary. Then the year before he died, he gave us the year of the Eucharist. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. Pope John Paul, St. John Paul. The Eucharist. So trust all things to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And to Mary, help of Christians, and you will see what miracles are. From Pope Benedict XV, you must propagate veneration of the most blessed sacrament with all your might, for the devotion to the Holy Eucharist is the queen of all devotions. Mother Teresa Calcutta. The time you spend with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament is the best time that you will spend on earth. Each moment that you spend with Jesus will deepen your union with him and will make your soul everlastingly more glorious and beautiful in heaven and will bring about an everlasting peace on earth. The time you spend with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament is the best time you will spend on earth. Each moment that you spend with Jesus will deepen your union with him and make your soul everlastingly more glorious and beautiful in heaven and will bring about an everlasting peace on earth. That's true. The missionaries of charity, the MC, shared with me, there was a situation, I think it was in a, it might have been Bangladesh, might have been India, might have been somewhere else, but there was a, a terrible plague or some kind of natural disaster where there were hundreds of thousands of people who died. I mean, dead bodies needed to be burned, buried or burned. And all these religious communities went to the, the, the site and they were working day and night 
But at five o'clock every day, Mother Teresa had her sisters leave to go pray. And, you know, they started off their day with a holy hour and they would go and do a holy hour. And they were getting criticized. There's all this work to do. There's all this work to do. But Mother insisted that they continue to go pray before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. About three weeks into the work, a month into the work, they were finding that, uh, sad to say, I think one priest left and married a sister, thinking that would bring him happiness. Um, others were leaving the work. Others were, were, you know, just getting destroyed through the work. And so the bishop came to them and said, Mother, what are you doing? And he, the bishop insisted that everybody stop and go pray the holy hour. We are not machines. We must relate to God. This is God. I know you know this. I, you edify me so much. You really do, all of you, so much. Um, I don't even know my sister's name in the green jacket here, but I was just, I just smile. I mean, like, wow. I mean, what a beautiful, holy lady. You know, I mean, really, she's here because you know, she loves God. <laughs> So that it was good that, you know, to keep her humble, God just let her not hear that. <laughs> but I mean, I really, I was, I was walking, you know, I'm here, I, we're all in silence, but I'm just like, I, I look, I just was, I was like, wow. You know, it humbles the priest. I mean, honestly, you loving humble people humble me. It's hard to be the one who's speaking in front of so many humble people. I mean, you're almost like, you're like, Lord, I wish I was that humble. Lord, I wish I was like that. I mean, really. But thank you. But let's not lose sight of the source, the Lord, the source, the center, the summit of our life. And if we think that we can just keep pushing on, I don't care what apostolate you have. I've had so many grand titles. The funny thing is, nobody even knows that my community exists. So I've had all these grand titles in my religious community, the community that nobody knows exists. <laughs> and... And so, I, you know, you can start to think you're so great, you know. Yeah, I, I'm rector, I'm whatever this, I'm that, the other thing. Hey, nobody even knows my community exists. I mean, you know, and bottom line is when you get a title, it just means you get more work. So, you know, I can't just keep pushing that. The most important thing is my interior life. God has shown me this. The greatest gift God has, Jesus Christ has given us is his own interior life. I hope you never forget that. That is the number one gift he has given us. His interior life. Because that's his communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's our life. That's our goal. That's our source. That's our goal. That's everything. The interior life. Yes, we do things exteriorly that flow from the interior life. Uh, you know, the soul of the apostolate, though, is the interior life. There's a great book by John Baptist, uh, Chatard or someone like that, uh, that uh, is a classic in the church. There are certain books that are the classic, but the soul of the interior life, I mean, the soul of the apostolate is the interior life. And, and so we're going to go make love visible. That's the point of this whole retreat. But remember, you need to be plugged into love. You can't give what you don't have. But, yeah, remember, you can't keep what you don't give away. You can't keep what you don't give away. Give and give and give. That's what the Eucharistic Lord teaches us. 
He's always giving himself, giving himself, giving himself, and he gives all of himself. When you come for communion, the Lord doesn't tell me, oh, this one only gets a little, a little piece of me because, you know, they, they only deserve a small piece. And, and, oh, this one can have, you know, so, and, oh, and don't give that one, you know. No, the Lord just gives and gives and gives. And, he, and it's amazing how all around the world he's giving himself today. How many souls has he given himself to today around the world? In Holy Communion. He gives all of himself. St. Alphonsus Liguori. Here's a quote. Know also that you will probably gain more by praying 15 minutes before the Blessed Sacrament than by all the other spiritual exercises of the day. This is a doctor of the church. True, our Lord hears our prayers anywhere, for he has made the promise, ask and you shall receive. But he has revealed to his servants that those who visit him in the blessed sacrament will obtain a more abundant measure of grace. St. Alphonsus. So those are some quotes on Eucharistic adoration. I'm trying to find, I, uh, I almost would have bet my life on it, but I never really bet my life. Um, on Wednesday of two weeks ago, I thought it was that day, was what I was trying to get to, Corinthians chapter 12. I'm almost there. Have patience with me. Okay. Wednesday. So I would have saved my life, but it was maybe not. Yeah, it was two weeks ago, because it was just before I left Belize. Okay. First letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 13. <coughs> so we talked about the Eucharistic rosary this morning. Again, wherever you see love or you see charity or you see Jesus, the name Jesus, you can put in the Eucharist. But here is... a reading that I urge you to examine yourself against regularly, not every day, but, you know, a couple times a year. First letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 31 through 13, chapter 13, 13. Brothers and sisters strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts. But I shall show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and comprehend all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own, and if I hand over my body 
that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love is not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It is not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I'll stop right there. Love made visible. So the famous teaching, love is patient, love is kind, it goes on. People love to read this at weddings. But you can put right in there the Eucharist. Okay, I, I mean, there could be an hour teaching just on how the Eucharist is patient. Because the Eucharist is Jesus. Jesus is patient, right? The Eucharist is kind. You have to understand what kindness means. Kindness means to see other people as the same kind as you. Ness, on the end of a word, means the state of being. Kindness. The state of being kind. Seeing other people as the same kind as you. That's amazing. Jesus sees us as the same kind as him. He's God. Right? He sees us as the same kind. That's kindness. What would you want done to you? You know, what you do to the least of my brothers, you do unto me, he teaches us, right? You know, that's a great teaching. I, 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 I want to share it while it's on my heart. We have ten fingers, God in his beautiful design. Here's, you know, and I like to hold the hand of Jesus and the hand of Mary and go through life. With the cross in one hand and the rosary in the other, that's what St. Louis Marie de Montfort says will be the, 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 the saints of the end times. That's what they're going to do. Live. And if you want to look at love, look at the crucifix five minutes a day. But on the one hand, I have five fingers. And I have the saying of Mary, one of the saints of Mary. I remember giving a conference in, of all places, Salt Lake City, a Fatima conference with all these other speakers. And the speaker ahead of me said to all the people, I want you to close your eyes and see Our Lady coming to you. And then uh, think about what she says to you. And I was the next speaker. And I said, "I, I know what she said to you. They looked at me. I said, she said, do whatever he tells you. She always says the same thing. That's all the apparitions. You know, when she appears at Fatima or Lourdes, she's just saying, live the gospel. She says it in a way that we can understand. That's what a good mother does. But she keeps saying, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Five fingers, right? And what does he tell us? You did it to me. And with your ten fingers, you can pray the rosary and reach out to other people. I mean, God designed us so perfectly. It's all right there. 
when Jesus teaches the golden rule, do unto others what you want them to do unto you, you know, that's not just a, uh, 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 to be understood like, I don't want someone to shoot me, so I'm not going to shoot other people. That's good. Please don't shoot other people. But it's, it, it is, you know, if you're hungry, what do you want someone to do for you? Give you food, right? Do unto others what you would want them to do unto you. If, if you were thirsty, you would want someone to give you drink. If you were a stranger, you'd want them to welcome you, right? If you're in prison, you want to be visited. If you're sick, you want to be visited, right? If you're naked, you want to be clothed. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Be kind. But not the world's sense of kindness, just letting anything go. Because do unto others what you want them to do unto you. If you're in error, you want to be corrected. You know, there's the spiritual works of mercy, which means to instruct the ignorant, counsel the doubtful, and correct the sinner. Those are spiritual works of mercy, right? That's mercy. Mercy. So love is kind. The Eucharist is kind. The Eucharist is not jealous. The Lord's not sitting there in the Eucharist and saying, how come I have to stay locked up in the tabernacle and you get to go outside and have a walk? He doesn't say that. He's happy for you. The Eucharist is not pompous. The Eucharist is not inflated. The Eucharist is not rude. The Eucharist does not seek its own interests. The Eucharist is not quick-tempered. Of course, this is Jesus. The Eucharistic Jesus is not quick-tempered. The Eucharist does not brood over injuries. The Eucharist does not rejoice over wrongdoing. The Eucharist does not, it rejoices with the truth. He rejoices with the truth. The Eucharist bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. As I said, there could be an hour teaching on what each one of these really mean. But now I have to put my name in there, and I urge you to put your name in there. Okay, because you received the Eucharist, so you're supposed to become what you receive, right? So I'll just go right here. Zach is patient. Sometimes. Zach is kind. Rarely. Zach is not jealous. I, yeah, I'm not really jealous, to be honest. Uh, so thank the Lord for that transformation. Zach is not pompous. Mm. Zach is not inflated. Zach is not rude. Yeah, most of the time. Zach does not seek his own interest. Well, I've deceived myself so much that I can say that, but more and more times I'm starting to see I do seek my own interest. Zach's not quick-tempered. That's kind of true. Zach does not brood over injury. And yeah. But how dare you injure my ego? You're hurting my reputation, and by hurting my reputation, you're injuring my ability to serve God. What a job. Wow. Isn't that kind of scary? Isn't that kind of scary, the way we, we put things, you know? Really justifying it as God's will, and now you're interfering with God's will because you're bringing me back to my nothingness. Zach does not rejoice over wrongdoing. I, I don't. I rejoice with the truth. I bear all things. Uh, 
believe all things, getting there, hope all things, I'm a hopeful person, endures all things, need to grow. So you put your name in there. Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind. The Eucharist is patient, the Eucharist is kind. Jesus gives us himself in the Eucharist so we can live the word, we can live his life. That's the bottom line. In in baptism, we said we want to live his life, but to grow in his life, you need to be nourished in his life, which is by the word and the Eucharist. And we receive the Eucharist after we hear the word because the word challenges us. The word is challenging. What I just went through is a great challenge if you really accept it and really reflect on it. You know, you, you make your resolution for the day. I hope you all did that. Um, but patience, it starts right out with the first thing. Love is patience. Pa- the word patience means to suffer. Patsior in Latin, to suffer. Love suffers. Anyone who's a mother or father knows that, and we're all called to be a mother or father, whether it's natural or spiritual. Love is going to suffer. But love is patient. How, how come it is that, you know, when I, when I love someone, I'm actually pretty patient with them, but, boy, that one who just irritates me, I mean, and, and why do they irritate me? I, you know, I mean, the smallest thing. They stir their coffee and they're hitting the cup. How dare them? Cling, cling. You know, I mean, how could you possibly commit such an offense? I mean, just unbelievable. You coughed in the chapel while I was praying. If we want to not be jealous and we want to be humble, we see it right there in the Eucharist. I mean, just looking at the Lord, you see it. There's a witness right there. But he will give you the strength. Ask him for the strength. Now, you know that what's going to happen is when, when, you, when you ask for it, you're going to get formed in it. That's how formation happens. God shows you where you can grow. We're all growing and developing. We're living organisms. We have to grow and develop. If you don't grow and develop, you die. So just accept it. We're, you know, if, if you read Jordan Allman on the spiritual theology, one of the best books on spiritual th- theology there is, uh, that's, uh, uh, he, he calls one of the chapters the spiritual organisms. We are spiritual organisms. We are living organisms. We must grow and develop. It's not just about staying in our baptismal grace. Yes, we want to stay at a minimum in our baptismal grace, but so many Catholics just talk like, my my baptismal grace, that's the beginning. Can you imagine having a newborn and you just say, okay, now you're newborn, you're given a new life, you put them out in the world and, you know, stay warm and well-fed, good luck, grow up, no instruction. I mean, our Father feeds us with his Son. He gives us this word, and this word is challenging. Luke chapter 6, 27, in, in one breath, Jesus says, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who persecute you. In one breath, those four things. I mean, really? Love my enemies? I mean, I thought my enemy. Yes. 
Look what Jesus did. But I need him to do it. Do good to those who hate me. I mean, they hate me. Lord, they hate me. Elijah, why are you here? Uh, Right. Why am I here? Bless those who curse you. I mean, that's pretty mean when someone tries to curse you. The good thing about being baptized is no one can put a curse on us. We're covered with the precious blood of Jesus. You know, now you don't want to open yourself up to to allow that through tarot cards or horoscopes or other occult activity. But, you know, we're covered with the precious blood of Jesus, and that doesn't have power over us. Otherwise, I mean, don't you think, you know, they'd be trying to put curses on every single priest on the planet? You know, I'm walking along, and they're trying to do that. They have no power over me. But I'm supposed to turn to them and give them a blessing. They're doing a mean old thing, you know, curse, curse, curse. And I'm just supposed to go, God bless you. I can do it with Jesus. I can't do it on my own. And pray for those who persecute you. And I want you to understand this. God knows that you know that passage. When somebody persecutes you, you you know what a persecution looks like, right? Let's not make ourselves just martyrs for every little thing. The person who stirs the coffee too loud, they're martyring me. No. But you will get persecuted because what happens is a lot of people don't know how to pray. So you have to have a translation language of love, God language. So when someone's persecuting, I'm hearing them say to me, I need prayer, I need prayer, I just don't know how to pray. That's what they're really saying. Don't get caught up in it. They're saying, I, don't, I, I need prayer, I just don't know how to pray. And the good news is, the better you get at it, the more God will allow people come to come and persecute you, because a lot of people need prayer. So, that's what you do. And you just walk away, you pray for them. Okay, they need prayer. I will share this with you too. I call them TTPS. Okay, the, so many people love this. The trials, temptations, persecutions, and struggles, TTPS. You all know what those are, right? You, you know what they look like. What's the key when, when, a, when a TTP or S happens in your life? What's the key? The key is to look for the grace. The grace is always there, but the grace is small and the grace is invisible. But what it's like, it's like the wolves, you know, the wolves surround you and they show their teeth and they're growling. But your good shepherd Jesus is right there going, I'm right here, I'm right here. I'm invisible, but I'm right here. We're supposed to be looking to him, but we tend to look at the wolves too much. When a trial, temptation, or persecution, or struggle comes to you, it's saying there's grace that's there. Look for the grace. The grace to do the exact thing that God wants you to grow in. So, we need grace to be patient, to be kind, not to be jealous, not to be pompous, not to be inflated, not to be rude, not to seek our own interests, not to be quick-tempered, not to brood over injury, do not rejoice over wrongdoing, Rejoice with the truth. And now I want to go through these four last things because a lot of people don't understand. To bear all things. The word actually means to bear means to, to carry the weight, to get under that weight. To help other people carry the weight they're under. 
Jesus got underneath all of us and lifts us up. He made himself the lowest, the last, the least, the lowest, to lift us up. The Eucharist gives us the strength. We need to bear all things. It's hard. It's suffering. But if you love, you'll find the strength. Love is what conquers all. Love is the power of God. Love is God. To believe all things. What does that mean? To believe in the good intentions of people. I hope you just live your life that way, believing in the good intentions of people. Look for the good. St. John the 23rd had a great quote. He had so many great quotes, but one was, See everything, overlook much, change a little. See everything, overlook much, change a little. And the main one I got to change is me. I'm the one who has to change. But I see everything. You know, I, 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 the eyes of a priest, when I come into a room, I mean, I, I'm looking as a shepherd. I'm looking where the wolves are. I'm looking, for, not the people, but, you know, I'm trying to see, you know, I'm concerned for the souls. Everywhere I go, I see differently than other people. But I see everything. I see what's going on. But I need to overlook much and change a little. I need to believe in the good intentions of people because I know in my own experience, and I'm sure you've had the experience, have you ever done something where you've had a good intention but it just didn't work out? Have you ever had that happen? I, I, oh, plenty of times, right? You know, and that's the difference between the beauty of God and, and the difference between God and the world is this. You know, the world bases itself on exterior things. They walk by sight, not by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. I was a lawyer, you know. We, we, we can make a case based on circumstantial evidence, based on what happened exteriorly. Here's what happened. They're a bad person because here's what happened. Well, accidents happen. People can have good intentions. How many times have I had a good intention and it just didn't work out? I believe all things. I believe people have good intentions. Now, sometimes they need to get their conscience formed. You know, I mean, we don't just dismiss everything all at the same time. And, you know, people say, well, you know, well, I was sincere. Yeah, but you were sincerely wrong. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not talking about sincerity in that way. I'm talking about, but to believe, look for the good intention in people. I believe all things. And uh, I hope all things. I hope for the good of everyone. I really do. I hope for their good. That's love. One definition of love is to desire the highest and best good for the other. That means heaven, a relationship with God, to hope all things. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. That's from scripture, a definition. Our faith is the substance of the things we hope for. But I hope for all the good of all and to endure all things. This, we, we must get the strength to endure and we get that from the Eucharist. You know, you can do this with any scripture passage. That's my main point, though especially in the Gospels. 
Wherever it says Jesus, just put in Eucharist. But then you need to put in you when you're doing your examination of conscience. Am I living that? I'm baptized in Jesus. When I was baptized, I, my parents and godparents said for me, he wants to live the life of Jesus. He doesn't want to live his own life. Isn't that great? That's what we all said. And God accepted that. I said, I want to live your life. I mean, isn't it amazing that he actually made it possible to say, you can have my life, you can live my life. God said, I can live his life. Think about that. I, little, the little worm that I am. I can live the life of God. By grace, yes. I'm not going to be God, but by grace I'm going to participate in God. We always got to keep that clear, right? But we have to believe this word. Every day the word of God is where our life is. And especially on the Sundays. The Sunday is the lesson. A good teacher gives a lesson, and then they, they, they test you on the lesson through the rest of the week, right? They give you the lesson, it's not fair to test you till they give the lesson, but the liturgy gives the whole lesson for the whole week, what's going to happen in your life, and then the Lord tests you, or he proves you. I like the word prove instead of test. Like if you already know your 24-karat gold and you go in the fire, you're, it's called proving the quality of the gold, not testing the gold, but proving it. Proving that you're a child of God. Proving that you're a Eucharistic person. Proving that you believe this. Proving that you're living your baptism. Proving you're living the life of Jesus as Mary does. And so you want to know what those compass points are from Sunday to Sunday. Because the Sunday is going to tell you where you're, what's going to happen in your life that week. And then the daily readings kind of tell you in that context what's going to happen. This whole week was about, you know, becoming a servant. The last of all the least of all, right? Jesus gave the second prophecy of his passion. And what was happening? The, the, the apostles were arguing about who's the greatest. I have to examine, do I do that? I actually smile when I even reflect on that because let me share with you, I do love James and John so much. Okay, So the third prophecy of the, of the passion, okay, so in Mark you have the first prophecy, up in Caesarea Philippi, and Peter makes his great profession of faith. Who, are, who do you say that I am? And, you know, on this rock I'll build my church, and that's true. And it's, you know, God the Father revealed that to Peter, and Peter makes this great profession. But then Jesus starts talking about his passion, and what does Peter say? Oh, no, you're not going that way. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, right? You're thinking as man does, not as God does, right? Second time in Mark... He predicts his passion. That was Sunday's gospel, the second prediction. And uh, what were they arguing about? Who's the greatest? <laughs> Third prediction. They're on the way to Jer getting real close to Jerusalem. He makes the prediction of his passion or pro you know, tells them that's what's going to happen. And James and John get their mother Salome to come to Jesus and say, give my son seats at the right and the left. Now, they got formed. They became great saints. At this last supper, John puts his head on the heart of Jesus. They, they all lay down their lives for Jesus. I mean, they all got, they, they went through formation. 
We all need formation. I can relate to James and John. My middle name is John. My confirmation name is James. Honestly, it is. I love them. They're my heroes. They were sons of thunder, Boanerges, and then I would be just like them. Should we call down thunder from heaven, Lord, and nuke them? You know, they're opposing us. You know, didn't you hear about these people who are baptized in your name, but they're not part of our group? You know, John says, you know, so he went, they went through formation. But when you really think about it, I mean, so they want the seat at the right and the left. Okay, let's think about this. Who's at the right hand of Jesus in heaven? Right? And who's at the left hand of Jesus in heaven? Well, who's Jesus at the right hand of who? God the Father, right? So on the right of Jesus is Mary, and the left is God the Father. Are James and John basically saying, you know, just step aside, you got our seats? (laughs) If you really think about it, I mean, I got to admit, that's how I am sometimes. But then I got to really think about it. You know, really? Am I saying, you know, God the Father and Mary, just, you know, step aside? You know, I want to make this living. I make this living. You know, I love this word. And, and it just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper the more you enter into it. But it's your life. And, and, and really, you want to know, you know, what's going to happen in, in tomorrow's gospel. By about Thursday already, the teacher starts to move us into where the formation is going to be for the next Sunday. And that's going to be your life. But you're given the word, but then you're given the Eucharist so you can live the word. Because we can't live the word on our own. Again, I made that point before, but I just want to reiterate it. We can't live it without the Eucharist. So you take the scripture, like that 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 13, and you can put in there the Eucharist. If you really believe the Eucharist is Jesus, not just an object. We're not just sitting here looking at an object. This is the living Lord. And he is here present, and he's going to form us, and he's going to teach us in 15 minutes, St. Alphonsus says. You'll gain more profit than all other spiritual exercises. Wow. And he's going to form you, speak into your heart, heart to heart. But you really need to take the word and, and, and then see how the Eucharist lives the word and then realize that you're a Eucharistic person, and so you're going to live the Eucharist. I ask you to make this prayer for me. This has been my prayer for a while now. I pray that God give me the sacred Eucharistic and priestly heart of Jesus. If I have that, that's, that's what I need to live in my vocation. The sacred Eucharistic and priestly heart of Jesus. When I was forming the priest candidates in Asia, that's what it came down to. I told them, if they have the heart of Jesus, everything will be okay. That's what I told him. It all comes down to that for a priest, right? Right? If you have the heart of Jesus, you'll be a great priest, right? The good shepherd, you're going to go seek the sheep if you have the heart of Jesus. That's what it comes down to. But, you know, sometimes they, they looked at me like, no, I'm studying theology. Uh, I'll share with you a life-changing moment in my life, and then I'll, I'll go and hear some confessions or give a little spiritual direction at least to four. I want you to have time again. But I just had graduated studying theology. I, I, I studied in Rome, but then finished in, in, in the Philippines. <laughs> and... Uh, 
we had comprehensive exams. And I really knew my theology at that point. You know, I was really blessed as a student to know theology. And I remember going to the missionaries of charity, and there was this one Indian sister there. And I was sharing all this theology and the beauty of how it all intertwined and, and the understanding of theology and this, this humble little Indian sisters listening to me, listening to me. And when I finally ran out of wind, thank God, she, she looked at me and she said, Brother, that's beautiful, but I'm going to pray you have faith. I just went, Yes, sister, you pray I have faith. Amen. Pray that I have faith. Pray that I have the heart of Jesus. Pray that we're Eucharistic people. This world needs a lot of help. Can we do it? No. Can Jesus do it? Yes. That's it. So let's make love visible, but first relate to love that's visible and live, examine the word, pray the rosary looking at the Eucharist, examine the word in the light of the Eucharist, and draw your strength from the Eucharist, the source, the center of, and summit of your life, so you can live this word. That's why we're given the Eucharist.